0: and in my surroundings I'm finding the quietest these days, of brewing amazed that the focus remains the focal point my Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chitam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. And this show is with Rachel Brankey. Rachel is a fabulously productive person. Holy cow, this lady. So she is a lawyer. She is a mom, she is a triathlete, she's an active runner, and she is an entrepreneur with a lot of different streams of business. And my goodness, any aspect of her life in and of itself would be a lot, considering how much time and energy and success she has at it. The totality of all of these things is absolutely phenomenal, and I just couldn't wait to get her on the show. She recently ran Chicago, and she wasn't at full strength for it, as you'll hear in this episode, but I wanted to have her on after Chicago because she's done so much recently. And shoot, while I wanted to talk to her about her recent running and her triathlons. This was more of a how are you the way you are kind of episode because I'm in awe of all the things that she's been able to do. So, without further ado, here's my conversation with Rachel. Hello Rachel and welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. See, you're one of the few people who've been on the show who is not new to the podcast format. You actually are a podcaster yourself in addition to And this is an approximate number, 3,090 other jobs that you (laughs) currently hold. So I appreciate you taking time out of your very busy day to be joining us.
1: Yeah, of course. I was doing a whole bunch of recording right before we got on here. So I'm all warmed up and ready to go.
0: So you do the batch recording, right? You kind of like you batch it out for a little while.
1: Yeah, if I don't, things just get super busy and it's easier for me to then plan it around like training and family schedule. So on like back off weeks and stuff like that, I know I'll have more time to record or to do client calls. And so, yeah, I do almost most of my work in batch processing uh, blocks of time.
0: Now, I introduced you during our intro that the listeners have just heard. With that said, as with someone like you who does so many things, when someone asks you that question, like say you're meeting somebody for the first time, they ask you what you do, what What, what do you say?
1: It depends on who's asking. Um, yeah, it, so I do a lot, but I think what I want to impress is that I'm primarily an entrepreneur, I'm an athlete, and I'm a mom. So that kind of is like the overarching umbrella, and I'm on like year 15. So I, d- I didn't come out the gate doing everything that I'm doing. So I just read whoever it is that I'm talking to and then I kind of answer. And if we then go into a further discussion, flesh it out. But yeah, that's a hard answer to even answer because it just depends. And I hate giving the crappy lawyer answer of it depends, but it does.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. And that's the thing is that you have so many different sides to your work life and athletic life and family life. It really is such a rich tapestry, which was funny because you were on that podcast with Meredith Atwood 24 hours in a day. And it's funny because I look at someone like you, I think of like the men in black day of like, you know, 36 <laughs> hours. And they talk about like, how do you do that? You're like, you either thrive or you lose your mind. And that's exactly how I envision your life being obviously more from a thrive perspective, because boy, do you really put a lot in the day. So let's let's just get to it because you were a former college swimmer. Mm-hmm. So you were, you know, a high level athlete uh, early on in your life. And then you went to law school you had, you know, you had, you you had a child, you know, at that around that time. Got, you know, you met your husband to be, and then you came down with thyroid cancer. Can you? So when you talk about your post college life, just 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 touch on a little bit because I think it lays the groundwork for just the amazing stuff you've done even more recently because it really is just an incredible story. Like once you graduated from college. What was it like for you in terms of what you were planning for your life as someone who is, you know, much of a planner, and you're such a worker, and what actually came to it? Actually, came to fruition.
1: Yeah, it's funny because I'm not really always been a planner. I knew I always didn't want to work for somebody else. I never fit into the box. You know, it's always in trouble in school for talking and telling the teacher how they can do something differently. Uh, but I didn't really envision being an athlete. In any of that. When I graduated, um, so actually in college is when I met my husband, we got pregnant with our first. And during that time is when we found out I had thyroid cancer. So that kind of put an end to everything athletic wise, I gained over 100 pounds, um, subsequently went on to have four more children. So we have five total kids together. And he was in and out on deployments. And I really shifted a lot of my focus to growing different businesses, because I really wasn't sure what niche I wanted to be in. And then I figured, well, what the heck, let's throw law school into the mix, because I ain't got anything else to do, I guess. And yeah, I, I don't know, I came out the other side in having multiple successful businesses which I say that and I'm confident saying that because it wasn't just me. I'm very lucky to have had a really good support system, my parents, my husband, my friends, and that has even carried over into athletics. So, you know, you mentioned I was a college swimmer. And then I basically did nothing from the time that I had my first, who he's 14 now. And I did nothing until about, Right when the fifth one was born, so I was about 30, beginning of my 30s is really when I started running and getting into triathlon and it was to lose the weight. It was to regain myself as a person. Even though I had developed this identity in businesses, I wanted more for myself physically and mentally. And that's how I ended up getting into athletics, which is now this is the this is the short answer, I promise. Um, but that kind of is all evolved into what I'm doing now. My legal stuff is the foundation for owning, obviously, owning the firm, the different podcasts and blogs that I have. But it's even the foundation for my athletic side of things because I work not just as an athlete, but also with fitness businesses on their legal stuff.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I, I appreciate you laying that all out there because it really does lay the groundwork for all the things that you're tackling in a day. So let's just go back to um, the thyroid cancer, you know, the treatment and recovery. Obviously, you were so young, not that like it's always kind of, you know, it's always a tragic diagnosis in a lot of ways when someone hears they have cancer, but to hear it at that, that young age. You know, you're really kind of kickstarting your life at that point with your son and your husband, and you're know, about to about to leave school. So, what was the cancer treatment like um, for thyroid
1: cancer? So actually, what's interesting is it was relatively, quote unquote, easy. Well, I was 20. So I was still in this mindset of, well, I'm invincible, right? Nothing will ever happen to me. And since it was thyroid, it's one of the best to have, I guess. We I had two surgeries and radiation. That was relatively easy to manage. It has been Everything since Um, managing the medication, making sure my levels are fine, having this in the back of your head, knowing that you could potentially get cancer again. Which actually, this last year, so after Ironman World Championships last year, I started springing up these weird um, symptoms, and that led a whole landslide of potential cancer scare. I share that, you know, not for pity, but to say that. And hopefully open people's eyes, that going through the cancer treatments and surgeries is actually one of the easier parts. It's living the rest of your life in fear that it's gonna come back is the hardest and most stressful part of it.
0: And what has been the result of that stress, that kind of that kind of cloud hanging over you in a sense, in terms of your physical, mental, and emotional? You know, sides and success, and just the you know how it might affect you either as a depressant or as something that may be spurring you to action.
1: Yeah, I um, it hasn't worked so much of as a depressant for me. I did have postpartum depression, but I don't attribute it to the cancer stuff. In fact, athletics helped me to run or climb out of that. Uh, it, it helps me to have this perspective of I get to do this. Like I'm not the fastest runner. I've tried my hardest. You know, again, I didn't start running until I was like in my thirties. I didn't start triathlon until my thirties. And, but it allows me to have a perspective of you could not be here to do this, you know, and that, and I have the same idea when it comes to business. Even on days when it's hard or I have a difficult client, I could I sit and think, "Oh, I could be padding the pockets fulfilling the goals of someone else, but I get to do this for me." Now, I don't say that to say you should mistake that all cancer survivors have these rose-colored glasses. I still have to work at it. I mean, even as recent as Chicago Marathon this year, I did not have a good race. I was sick. I really wasn't well-trained since I had lung surgery like 10 weeks before. I was very undertrained actually. And I had to force myself to say, Rachel, you get to do this. There's many people that don't get to be out here, no matter how bad this sucks and hurts right now. And so that is really what I've taken away from the cancer thing is just knowing that there will be a day it comes back. And I don't want to be depressed at the thought of that happening. This sounds so cliche, but I want to get to do as much as I can before that day comes. And that just, I guess, positively encourages me to do more.
0: Now, how has the medication and treatment and effects from the surgeries affected you from a nutritional or dietary perspective?
1: Um, not well, <laughs> is it what I should be doing or what I actually do. So, you know, I can rein in my dietary side a bit more. The medication I have really does thrive better on a gluten free, cleaner diet. And I notice that my athletics and my attitude and everything is better when I stick to that. But I'm human. I fall off, you know, um, I fall off the wagon a bit. Uh, but yeah, it, it's nice. Well, I, I wouldn't want to say nice, but when I do, when I commit to doing what I'm supposed to do, you know, eating cleaner, sticking to my medication, I feel fairly normal. Um it's when I fall off and become irresponsible even at my age <laughs> for not taking my daily meds on time or eating right is when I feel the effects. But I don't think that's uncommon across the board. Even people that don't have past medical histories also could benefit from cleaner eating and watching what's, you know, what they're putting into their bodies. And so how much do that of that do I really subscribe to the cancer medications and all of that? I don't know.
0: Right, right. Now let's go back to you know, when you f- kind of restarted your athletic career. So it was after you had five kids, you had gotten your MBA, you'd gotten your JD, you know, your husband, you know, works for the military at the time It was, you know, had had deployments. What about that period in your life was such a motivating factor to not only like get back into being, you know, more and more athletic or maybe working out more, but you know, you you know, shoot, you're an incredible athlete, you know, you're doing all this triathlon stuff, you're representing the United States, you were at Kona, you're doing, you know, just incredible things. And, you know, you went from like, you know, again, like you had, you mentioned in other shows and podcasts, a fairly sedentary life, while still very active, sedentary, in like the athletic perspective, yet here you are on a completely other end of the spectrum. So what were some of the motivating factors that got you down that path?
1: Point blank, I was extremely overweight and hated myself. My body, right? My mind and my career and everything was great, um, but I hated my body. And you know, I a lot of times people, you know, get on interviews and they're afraid to put that out there. And you know, body love—we should love all body types—and I do agree with that. But that was my journey. I hated what I saw in the mirror. I also hated what I felt. You know, taking my kids, I had. Oh, at the time I had four under the age of like six and it being active with them, like just going for a walk to the mailbox killed my knees and my back. And I was always having to stop because I was a hundred plus pounds overweight. And that's, that's basically was my biggest motivating factor was to lose the weight. And I had a girlfriend who was into Ironmans. We had swam together in high school And she said, she goes, I'm sending you something. And she sent me a pair of socks. I still have them. They're actually stitched into a blanket now. And she goes, these are the running socks you need to get started. She goes, it's time for you to start moving towards who you want to be. And I also didn't realize at the time that by being so inactive and so overweight, it was causing me to be more stressed in my career. So as I've become more active, I've lost the weight. I felt more confident in my body. I've gotten more confident in even interviews like this and talking to other people, but also in how I just live my entire life. And I'm not saying you have to be thin and fit to do that, but that was my progression. And it was all rooted in, I didn't like how I felt, about myself and how I physically felt every day. And I was the only person that could change that.
0: So that was a, that's a bold thing for a friend to do, right. To like, to approach you in that manner. Um, so how much, how much did you rely on then? And even now in terms of, you know, your, your athletic friends or other friends and just the athletic community in terms of, you know, engaging in, um, you know, swim, bike and run.
1: You know, what's interesting is I actually, if I had to sit here and prioritize the things that I love most about sports, so whether it's triathlon or running, I would put community as number one, and I would put the benefits to myself probably at two, and then somewhere in there, I would also put the example for my kids. But the community that I've gotten out of being a runner, being a triathlete, Super important. Now understand, I train a lot by myself. Since I'm self-employed, my schedule is a little different. It can be more flexible. So I do a lot of training on my own. But when I'm integrated in these communities, it builds me up in such an emotionally mental way that it provides me this other element of support that I think a lot of people need, and especially mothers, Um, you know, and I I don't necessarily want to go down the whole path of how unsupported mothers are in different facets of life. I think we as a society are getting better in those areas, but I definitely at the time being an entrepreneur, I guess is what I'm trying to say is can be very lonely and having that community from athletics you know, it gave me the physical benefits, but also has given me the emotional and mental benefits I needed to kind of lift myself up to be a better person on my own. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting that you took it to that in that direction, because I didn't expect you to go that way in particular, in terms of like, I I was expecting you to say something effective, like, hey, like, as as someone who works for themselves, like, I just don't have a lot of like, adult friendships outside of my kids, right? Because like, you know, it's just adult friendships can be hard anyway. And a lot of them usually are rooted in, you know, the people that you work with. So if you're an entrepreneur, you work by yourself, that can be a tough thing. I didn't expect you to go in that direction, which is even more fascinating because it, it really speaks to like you know, kind of an empowerment issue in a sense. Um, just you know, overall confidence and you know, really standing up for the things that you want to do in your life which is interesting because when you first started in triathlon you had you know five young kids and you got you know your your jobs too like it just must have been a crazy time commitment especially in the beginning when you're trying to figure out you know how to include this new part of your life into your life
1: mm-hmm. well and you know what's interesting i actually think being an entrepreneur And this is why I don't think that it's by happenstance that you see a lot of the same careers in triathlon and running is I feel like a lot of the characteristics that helped me to be a successful entrepreneur also helped me to be a successful athlete. And like we were talking about batch processing and recording and block scheduling and that kind of stuff. Those are things that I also carry over into athletics. And so I'm just very purposeful with my time. Uh, And this doesn't mean I'm perfect. Like even as of a couple of weeks ago, I was at height Ironman training, getting ready to go in Ironman Maryland. And my husband was just like, this is a lot. And I was like, you know what it is. Let's get through this and then we'll readjust the ship. Like, you know, you, you I don't think you will ever get to a point that it's perfect. You just have to watch the signs within yourself and with your family or whatever else is important for you. Maybe you don't have a, a family. Maybe you, you have hobbies that have fallen off or um, your career is starting. You start to see, Um, negative things coming out of that. You just have to do a lot of self-checks. And I think that's because, like I said, I see a lot of the same career types in triathlon and running that the characteristics of why they're good there is why they're good in their business. But that can be a double-edged sword. And so you just kind of have to watch it. And yeah, it's never going to be perfect. And you interview me in five years, I'll probably be still saying the same thing. I'm never going to achieve like that perfect balance. I think the term balance is crap to be honest, it's just all about being, taking your strengths, utilizing them, and then being intuitive to understand when you're either being fully consumed by hobby or by sport. Um, and what is that taking away from?
0: Yeah. And you bring up a great point where you talk about how you and your husband were talking and you were getting ready for Ironman Maryland and how you just think, and you brought it up like, Oh, it's a lot right now because that really, you know, it's uh it it basically sets the 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 frame for that as hey, this is a seasonal thing or this is a temporary time period where I think a lot of people and i I say this you know speaking from my own my own mistakes in terms of how I look at things is I often look at it like, I don't know if I could do a marathon. That's just a lot to take on. And it views, I view it as like this static component in my life, as opposed to a seasonal component where you can work around it if you have kind of open communication and, you know, you talk to people who are also supporting you and your kids, whether that's other family members or a spouse or things like that. Because oftentimes I feel like that can be a stumbling block for people who maybe are potentially inclined to go for something that they haven't achieved in life. But they know that there is a time element that might not be um, that can be challenging to them, especially in the long term versus some you know period of time, which is a little bit more constrained.
1: Yeah. And, you know, we so in that moment and I'd already been thinking about it, that I had decided I was going to take a year off of Ironman. Uh, full distance, because 140.6 miles, it's a lot. And I also sat back, not even just for health reasons that I have going on. But I'm like, what other goals do I have? What do I have also outside of sport? Because there's, there's no point I don't, I don't know how to articulate this. There's no point in being successful in one area if all other areas are going to fail. And so I'm looking around and my oldest is 14. He's only going to be home for a couple more years. My kids are getting starting to move into middle school. And so for me, that was a good decision. A couple years ago, I probably would have been sitting here saying, oh, you can make it happen no matter what. It's going to depend on what stage in life that you're in. I probably still could make it happen, but I'm making the purposeful choice to scale back to marathons for next year. and. But that's just the life that's just the life phase that I'm in right now. And I'm super confident and love that decision.
0: Now, is there a particular reason why you have found yourself in the past few years gravitating towards, you know, the longer distances within these disciplines like marathons and full length uh, and full length Ironmans as opposed to like 5Ks and 10Ks or sprint distance and things like that?
1: I think, I think it's a couple of things. One, I do think that there's this element in tri communities that if you haven't done an Ironman, you're not a legit triathlete. If you haven't done a marathon and run communities, you're not a legit runner. And I think those are bogus, right? But I fell into those because I was fairly new getting into the sport. That's what I saw. And that's what I thought I needed. I've done four Ironmans and two marathons now, um, I've done some shorter distances too, but they're pretty, you know, they're pretty intense on your body. So I fell into that thinking, Oh, in order to be legit, I had to do these distances. And then when I got into them, I was like, well, now that I'm in here, I want to improve. And so it kind of evolved from this outside influence to more of an internal mission to do better. Um, each time I do that distance. And I think that's like with Iron Man. I did four I did the improvements I needed and then I was kind of good with what I had achieved. And so I'm okay moving on to the next thing. And I feel like that is really common with entrepreneurs as well. Cause I see the same patterns of myself within my businesses. And so I'm just re- I'm replicating, I don't know if it's right, but I'm replicating the same kind of approach over and over. Um, there wasn't like one defining, Oh my God, I saw a finish line and I had to do it moment. It just, there was a lot of societal and peer pressure And then it turned into more of an internal um, goal.
0: Now, when did you transition from, you know, picking up triathlon and run, bike, swim as just a way to get moving and to feel good about your body and all of a sudden it becoming a competitive goal-driven endeavor?
1: I've always been pretty competitive. So actually, so my trajectory started, um, I did, A 5K, 10K, sprint triathlon, then half marathon. You know, I incrementally worked my way up on the running and tri distances. And so it was once I hit the distances that I liked the most, which were half marathon and full Ironman, then it was, I decided to be a bit more competitive. Then I had a baseline. Before that, it was just, oh my God, I don't even know if I can run 10K. I mean, I think about my first 5K. I legit thought I was going to have a stroke because I was so overweight and so out of shape, but it was something I wanted to do and I did it. Um, and then it was kind of one of those pushing the envelope. Well, I did 5K. What can I do next? And the same thing goes for when I find a distance I love. Well, okay. Now I finished in X amount of time, but can I do better next time? Um, and I've kind of always, I'm more competitive with myself than I am with other people, though. I think that's one of the, things that sets myself apart from many of my other colleagues who are all about winning age group and that sort of stuff. I just want to beat myself from the time before.
0: Right. And I'll tell you what, it's no less competitive. I know that I've always been much harder on myself when I haven't lived up to my past performances as compared to comparing myself to other people in the community.
1: Mm-hmm. You know what's interesting? I was thinking about this during the Chicago Marathon. I was thinking about this with Des Linden, and she won Boston. Remember, it was not one of her fast times, and it actually wasn't even one of the best Boston times, but she still won. And I, this exact train of thought that we're talking about here is what I was thinking was – you can do your best, but it's also within the conditions that you have. And even when you're competing against other people, your best can still be the best. And Des Linden is an example of that, that year that she won Boston. Um, so is it right or wrong that you always compete against yourself? I don't know. I do think <laughs> I'm probably a a more competitive competitor against myself than I am other people. Um, but that's all, also because... I don't really look at the sport. This isn't my job. Um, do I get a lot of great benefits from it? I work with a lot of brands. Yeah, sure. It really is to fulfill me physically and emotionally. And so as long as I achieve those goals, that's even more important than the time goals.
0: And how do you make sure that you're doing in a way that is fulfilling you mentally and emotionally? Because as you just mentioned, that isn't necessarily correlated to, to metrics.
1: Yeah, it's funny because right after Chicago, I texted my coach and I said, have I lost my love for running? Because I did not like it. It wasn't because it was Chicago. It was because I was, you know, under trained. I had a sinus infection. I still have it. I'm a little sniffly. Um, And she said, I don't think so. You just got distracted this race. And it's true. So to answer your question, I don't know. I think it's one of those, I hate to sound all woo-woo, but I think it's one of those heart things that you just have to try to approach it And look internally what your goal is. I think it's so easy, and I'm raising my hand. I'm the first to say this. It's so easy for me to pull out my last race PR. It's so easy to pull out my metrics when I was on this course last time or look at what the Boston qualifier is or the Kona qualifying times needed and to stick solely to that. And that actually is what hurt me this last weekend is I was so focused on what my old performances were, but I didn't balance it against when I ran New York last year I was the fittest I had ever been probably in my life. When I ran to Chicago this year, I was probably, I was not fit at all. Like I said, I had just had lung surgery in July, wasn't doing well. So it was, it was more, I needed in the race to tell myself, your goals need to change or you're going to be unhappy. And I didn't mentally, I hope this makes sense, but I didn't mentally change my goals. I kept looking at how are you slower than New York? How are you slower than before? Not even taking into consideration that life had changed. And so I don't even know if I'm answering your question, but um, <laughs> but I, I think it's just not, I guess what I'm saying is in order to make sure that you're, you have the right goals, you have to listen to what the heart goals are. And then maybe that's why I'll never be a professional, because I don't want to always be tied to the numbers. I want to be tied to how I feel and how it intrinsically each race intrinsically fulfills me.
0: Right. And one thing that I've struggled with, and I would love to hear how you manage this, is dissociating how I'm doing in athletics from how I perceive athletics is you know, benefiting me personally. Right. So if like I'm struggling with, you know, either whether it's races, I don't feel like I'm racing to the level of my fitness or my training is down from where it was a year ago. Even if the the reasons are perfectly legitimate, just not seeing linear growth or anything like that. How do you personally try to make sure that you can, at the best of times, dissociate how you're achieving or doing in in athletics from how you view athletics and its role in your life?
1: I don't know. Cause I think my answer would have been different even a week ago. Cause going into Chicago, I said to myself, you're, you're less than two weeks off of Ironman Maryland. You're under trained. Just go have fun and get another star, right? That was what I had told myself going in. But then when I'm running and I'm looking at metrics, then I'm going, Oh my gosh, I'm not even hitting, you know my half marathon time i'm not even hitting this why does why does running hate me why am i doing this i i don't know the answer to that because that's kind of the stage of growth that i'm in right now trying to figure out how to reconcile all that but then when i came home and i talked to my coach her like i said her message to me was you got distracted and so i think perhaps fo- Choosing a focus to go into a race and not getting distracted. Like if my focus had just been completing and really focused on not getting distracted with numbers, maybe I wouldn't have ran with a watch. Maybe I would have, you know, just turned it all off or not looked at it till the end that may have helped me. I don't think though, that's negatively impacted me. I actually think that the performance I just had, and I think this also comes out of my characteristics from entrepreneurship is I finished Chicago. I was unhappy, had this conversation I relayed to you guys with Coach. But then I took a couple hours to wallow, took a bath. And then I texted her and I said, here's the game plan I want to do for London. Here's all the things I know that did wrong. So I didn't allow it to let me fall into this pit of marathon running hates me. It's not for me. It was more of how can I fix it for next time? But let's contrast this to Ironman. I had just done one two weeks ago. It was number four. And I didn't, again, under because of the surgery and everything. I did have fun. But kind of what you're talking about, my perspective to Ironman changed from that race. A couple weeks before, I was crying, thinking, oh, my God, my Ironman days are over. Then once I finished this race... I was like, yeah, I'm good with the break. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, I'm really good with it. I never felt like that before. And so I, I don't know. I just, I think it also depends on where you're mentally at. I feel like Ironman had its time. I may go back to it one day, but I'm looking forward to this new goal now. And my approaches to both the races were completely different and they both had different outcomes, even though they weren't the best performance. I don't really have a negative association either way to the sport because of that. Mostly I think because I knew going in, despite what I felt during the event that I can still step back and go, okay, here's the reality. And maybe it'd been different. Maybe I had gone into these races fully in tip top shape and had a poor performance. I'd have a completely different answer for you.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I guess I guess that really speaks to how this this question evolves with how our life evolves. Right, because mm-hmm. it really can it can depend on where we are in our life, and what else we got going on, and also what kind of you know performances we're having, and you know the string of performances that we're having, right uh, so that can all affect it and you know one thing that I struggle with when my when my um, fitness ramps up, not my fitness, but my training ramps up, and all of a sudden I'm running more miles per week um is being able to you know be present and be you know energetic. After you know extensive training, right? Just the 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 tiredness and fatigue can kick in, especially if work is getting you know during its busy season. At the same time that running is entering kind of its busy season, how do you manage your training, diet, and recovery to ensure that you're as productive as you need to be when you're not training, so that you know you can you know make a living and do all these other things that you currently do.
1: What's interesting is even though I'm fairly, I think, intuitive as to what I need and how to adjust things in my life, having a coach has been invaluable for exactly what you're talking about because I tried doing Ironman for a season without a coach and I burnt myself out so bad that I didn't By the evening, I was in bed by 6. I didn't want to be around anybody. That put a strain on the family. I was tired all the time. And it's because I was so worried about failing. And I wasn't able – I wasn't mature enough, I guess, as an athlete to give myself permission to rest and recognize that rest was important. And so having a coach now – and I've had her for three years, I think – it sounds so weird, but like I pay her almost to give me permission to rest and to scale back. So when we sit down to do training stuff, I give her all the big dates for my family stuff and say, these are non-negotiables. These are because she also agrees that family is first. That I'm not getting paid for this sport. You know, I'm not, this isn't my full-time job. And so we start with that. And then we also go week by week in training. And this is another reason why I'm a huge proponent of coaching versus taking a training plan online is because the majority of us are not skilled to know how to prevent injury or to be able to provide The right mileage so that you can recover quicker, or, and I don't even know the terminology to convey this right now, which shows why I think these online plans can be more detrimental to people. And it can also carry over into lack of recovery and negatively impact their home life or their careers because we don't have the knowledge to do that. And so for me, having a coach that gives me permission. And not like I need permission, right? It's, it's it's kind of a weird phrase to say, but if I'll say, her name's Rachel also. And I'll be like, it, actually what's funny is her husband's name, this name is my husband's name. But- that's total besides the side. Um, I'll, I'll message her. I know, totally like squirrel on that one. But I'll message her and I'll say, Rachel, I just cannot today. I just I have all of this, and she and she'll go right into training peaks, adjust things, and she'll go rest for the rest of the day. And then I don't have the guilt of it. Then I'm able to, you know, reenergize myself, commit to my family, and because that's really what's most important. A lot of people may not have the luxury of having a coach. So more tangible things can be, and this sounds cliche, but getting the right amount of hours of sleep a night. Uh, we pick activities. Maybe it's I've done a long run for the day. We'll pick an activity that is more scaled back in the afternoon, but still spending time with family. We'll sit down and build paper mache stuff versus going to the zoo for the afternoon, you know, something that's going to be more physically taxing. And, um, I, I, I Oh think my God, that- the zoo
0: trips, the zoo trips are the worst. <laughs> I swear to God, nothing is worse than a four hour trip to the zoo or six flags after you had like a long run in the morning.
1: I know, I know, and you're looking for like places to sit, and you're like, "Where are all these benches?"
0: <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. It's like, no, I'll, you can push me in the stroller. No, you got to, you got to get yeah. up
1: now. Yeah, but but it's actually being purposeful on things like that. And for me, I think it's really important that running and try are to enhance my life. They're not to take away from the rest areas of my life. And so, however, if I can do that by scheduling. Um, adjusting what we do at home, but still having purposeful, intentional time. Um, and then, of course, you have like the basic rest stuff. Every time that I'm done running, I roll my legs, soak in Epsom salt. I do what I can to try to keep myself injury free and to get my legs back to normal. So that in case we are going to the zoo or some other children's activity for the afternoon, I'm fairly well rested and can walk without hobbling.
0: So have you always been an energetic, hardworking person? Or is this something that you've kind of matured into as you've grown?
1: I've matured into it. Ask my parents. I was so lazy in high school. Um, I mean, I swam, but it was kind of because I was forced to. They said I had to have a sport, so I picked swimming, and rest is history on that. And I'm glad they didn't let me quit. I wasn't that much of a go-getter. Uh, it wasn't until the cancer, actually, that I was like, you know what? Why am I doing the minimum in life? Um, I mean, I got decent grades without trying. And, you know, and I even look back and go, how much better could I have been a, as a swimmer if I had pushed as opposed to just getting through the sets? Oh, um, my goodness. That, maybe- that's
0: like that's like if I have a <laughs> memoir, it would be what if for so that? Like all, well. every aspect of my life, I have that exact same inner monologue in question.
1: But I don't let it bring me down. I can't do anything to change it, so maybe I overcompensate now <laughs> for it, but yeah, I the go-getterness just kind of, is that even a word? Kind of came out once I had the cancer and then I realized again, cliché, cliché, that I'm in control of my destiny. But then I realized I no longer had anyone doing anything for me. I didn't have high school teachers coddling me or even college professors coddling me. I had to make it happen. And of course, having kids made me grow up really fast too, because I had my first at 20. And so I was still a baby myself. Um, I had to grow up really quickly with him. Nate was deployed to Iraq multiple times. Yeah, we, I feel like we lived a whole lifetime in my twenties.
0: <laughs> yeah. Cause you know, you had that, you know, so you're basically were single parenting, you know, for a while with your, with your son While at the same time getting advanced degrees, you know, in both in business and in law, which, man, if you weren't hardworking before, I mean, it really set you up. You really, I guess, had to kind of sink or swim in that point. But at the same time, so many parents of young kids, and again, I'll raise my hand here, you know, it can, that in and of itself is an exhausting proposition. So I can totally see someone, you know, again, so many people have done it, which is why, like, you see gym memberships go up every January 1st, every single year. Is that people with the best of intentions come up with this, come up with plans or ideals or goals to kind of get back into working hard as an athlete or maybe even for the first time in their life doing so, but don't end up making it the long term or for an extended period of time. So when you talk to people who are fighting that fight and maybe coming up short, what are some, what's some of the advice that you give them that has worked for you in the past?
1: I think the biggest thing. Well, let me preface what I'm going to say with this. Social media has its downfalls, has its upside. That's how we connected. But I, I, what I love about social media and the way that it has revolutionized our communication style and the output of what people put out there is when I was first starting getting my advanced degrees, having a young kid. I had a lot of people who naysayed about, oh, you should be at home with him. You should be doing all this because your husband's at war. And I was like, so what am I going to do? Sit here and twiddle my thumbs and count down till nap time every day? Like, why can't I do something for myself? And now what I love about social media is that this story like that I have is not – isolated to me. I see so many amazing parents, single parents, or even just people out there that have other circumstances making stuff happen. And so I love seeing that. And I don't even know how to answer your question here. I guess my biggest thing is looking at and knowing that I'm stumbling over my words, because my goal with sharing my story, like I said, it's not completely unique. There's other people that have had worse circumstances than me. But My goal with sharing my story is hoping to give them tangible tips to how if there's someone listening to this who's going, man, I want to go to law school, but I have young kids. Or, man, I want to do Team USA, but I have all this going on. I want these tangible tips to help you to hopefully get towards that goal. And so that's what I absolutely love about social media and podcasting and all the other content platforms out there is that there's no lack of information Now, you don't want to get so completely overwhelmed that you're paralyzed and you don't do anything of it. So I think it's getting really clear on what you want to do, ignoring the naysayers. Um, And I think we're in a good time, like I said, in, in technology now where you can go find these heartwarming success stories. You can get onto the Rambling Runner podcast and hear some great stuff. And taking in, I guess, almost like school. You can study these other people. Hear the things that work best for them. We've mentioned it a couple times here batch processing and like block scheduling that is pivotal for me to do everything that I need to do. And also balancing that with my goals, take that, write it down, put it into your life and see if that works. Move on to the next podcast episode. Hear what that person has injected. Try out what they recommend. Because when I started all this, I was flying by the seat of my pants. We didn't have all this content. Facebook wasn't even in existence at the time. We still had MySpace with like the <laughs> with like the, the crappy glitter backgrounds and the autoplay music and all of that. But even then, content output wasn't nearly what it is now. So if you're sitting there and you're wanting to achieve some goals like this and you feel overwhelmed, you don't know what to do, go methodical. Go episode by episode of podcasts that you like, find people that resonate with you that are willing to share their story and write down their tangible lessons, enact them in your life, give them some time to see if it works, and then just make adjustments as you need.
0: All right, two more questions for you. This has been such a great conversation. I really appreciate you coming on. You just had some great advice there. So who are some of the people that you have and are currently looking at as people who motivate you either to succeed or to emulate?
1: Uh, so Stephanie Bruce is one of my major girl crush, aspired to be like, um, which is funny because I just missed her in Chicago and I was super sad. And my best friend got to see her. I look to her as a mother um, who's doing big things in running. And But I think most importantly, all about body image. Um, she doesn't shy away from sharing about the extra skin that she has on her stomach. And as we've talked about in the story here, I started in all this because it was self-esteem issues. I didn't like my body, not just how I felt, but I didn't like how it looked. And even now, once I've lost weight, um, you know, I'm not exactly where I want to be, but I look to someone like her and just seeing her post all the time inspires me to start adapting and realizing that... Life's too short to keep having these self esteem issues, and so she's a key person I look to, not just from the running and mom side, but the self esteem self esteem side of things. Um, that also how you look doesn't define you. Um, yeah, that's a lot of lessons I think from one person's profile, but she's she's the big one in my mind lately because um, I like to follow and read her Instagram posts because she shares a lot about her mental. Um, journey through marathons and life in general.
0: Yeah, I mean, she really is the case study for why when elite athletes show, you know, their, um, you know, kind of, kind of show how they can be vulnerable and things that are, you know, affecting them, and doing in a way that isn't like asking for a pity party or even like you know, she's able to to really express those areas of her life without sounding like a negative person which is a hard needle to thread. I mean, you you blog, you know, you do blog posts and you touch on a lot of topics in a lot of different ways. It's really hard to share negative aspects of your life without sounding negative. And yet she does it in a way while also being very true to herself that I think a lot of people not only can learn from but can be inspired by.
1: Yeah, I love it. You know, if I could sit down and have just a one-to-one off record, like not, you know, not the sound bites we hear on things, not saying she's fake, but I would love to just sit and say, how do you love your body? Um, And she's fit. She's amazing. She's got six at Chicago Marathon, right? It's doing amazing things for her. And because I just aspire to honor the body that has survived cancer, uh, the body that has carried six babies, birthed five, like how do I honor that and still respect it without being critical? I would just love to tap into her brain on that.
0: Now, as an entrepreneur, you know, who's, you know, who's originally a lawyer as well, and you work in that field, you've had a lot of different entrepreneurial ventures and different lines of things that you've created. When you talk to people who want to start out on an entrepreneurial venture, either part time, full time in their spare time, whatever, but they're worried about a variety of different things, whether it's the time or will I succeed or what will people think what are some of the, the, what's some of the advice that you give to people who are looking to strike out on their own in some manner in business, but again, just like with the athletic side, something's holding them back and they just haven't been able to pull the trigger.
1: Well, and, that, and I'm glad you said that equating it also to athletics, because I think the very same principle applies to both. Oftentimes people will not venture into entrepreneurship or athletics for fear of failure, and But then when you ask someone, what is, what do you mean by failure? Well, I don't know. I'm never going to get first at Boston. Well, guess what? Majority of us are never going to get first at Boston. So let's, let's look at some attainable successful goals. Like on the entrepreneurship side. Well, I'm afraid of failure. Okay. What do you mean by failure? Um, are, do you need to run a business? that's going to full-time monetarily support your family? Or is this just going to be a part-time? And I don't mean just in a demeaning manner, but is this just like a part-time thing that you're um, going to use to maybe pay for home improvements or all those race fees and everything? You know, it's all about defining what your exact goals are. And this goes back to what we were talking about earlier in approaching of races and how does that change our view of the athletic journey that we're on It's so easy, especially with social media. And I know I was just talking about the positives, but this can be one of the negatives that we see. You see quotes flying around all the time, Pinterest, Instagram, yada, yada. And it's easy to subscribe to these terms of failure. But what do you mean by that? Or success? Well, what do you mean by that? And I think digging into that and being very methodical and purposeful and writing down what specifically that looks like to you is what's gonna actually make your plan for you. If you just have this idea, like if I had come into running, saying being mindful that I had never run like more than a mile at a time in my life, even when I was at the top of my swimming game, I could not run. I still am not that great of a runner. I'm better a swimmer, better cyclist. But if I had come in that first that first season and I said to myself, well, if I don't get into Boston this first year, then running's not meant for me. I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you because then I would have subscribed to putting my success in something that wasn't reasonably attainable with the life circumstances and the physical constraints that I had at the time. Um, so I think that's the first step from athletics and entrepreneurship is, yeah, dream big. I'm not saying not to go big, uh, but I think we have to have the pie in the sky goals. We also have to have these attainable tidbits as we go along because if it's too unattainable, Right off the bat, you're going to become too discouraged. It's going to be too easier to fall subject to the naysayers in your life because you are going to have them. Um, people don't really champion entrepreneurship, but maybe once a year on Small Business Saturday when everyone uses the hashtag, but where are they for the rest of the year? Um, you know, there's a lot of naysayers because society is still in this nine to five, fit in a box type of mentality. So you're going to have to take control of your own success, set smaller goals, so that as you achieve them, it's like a mountain. As you achieve going up bit by bit up the mountain, you're going to feel more confident, and you'll eventually get to where you want to be. You may completely change mountains along the way. Look at me. I had zero idea that I would own a law firm, zero idea that I would be doing sports the way that I am now. And it was because I was open to the opportunities and I didn't just have these huge goals that it was all that nothing. I allowed myself to have smaller ones, but also be open to the changing of the winds. Like if you had asked me a year ago, would I be done with Iron Man, I would have said no way. But now here I am completely and utterly like relieved that I'm taking some time off of it. All about smaller goals and the different life uh, chapter that you're in.
0: Rachel, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on this show. I really appreciate it.
1: Yeah, of course. Just let me know if you guys have anything. I'm happy to talk, as you can tell. So I just I just want to impact at least one person. M- many more would be worth it too, but just one person. So if there's anything I can do to help anybody that has listened, please feel free to reach out.
0: There you go. And you can find her at rachelbranke.com as well as all the socials. So thanks again, Rachel.
1: Thanks. Have a good one.
0: Rachel, thank you so much for coming on the show. This was so much fun. I think I need someone like Rachel, if not Rachel herself, to be like a life coach slash business coach slash athletic coach. Any, any, every aspect of my life coach, because she just does so many things. Well, like I said, in the intro, it really is so inspiring to see, watch, and even better to hear about, you know, in person. So Rachel, thank you so much for coming on the show. This was a lot of fun. Also, Thank you so much to our sponsors, Tune up CBD and Megaton Coffee. If you haven't checked them out yet, what are you waiting for? My goodness. These guys are great. I really appreciate them. And if you want to help out this show, check them out because I know that you'll like it. And helping out the sponsors that help out this show makes them want to continue to be sponsors. So thank you so much for rating, reviewing, and sharing the show. It means so much to me. Have a wonderful day and happy running.